Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Jamie. Caitlin? (laughs) I have a simple favor to ask of you. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. For Um... sure. For sure. Sorry, that's my Anna Kendrick. Oh, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's really good. Thank you. Um, Will you help me record an episode of the Bechtel cast so that... Oh, yeah. It's totally fine. I'm happy to do it. And it's actually... um, I'm going to actually tweet about it right now. That's totally fine. And I would would be thrilled. Do you want to be friends? I haven't had an alcoholic beverage in 45 years. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much yeah, um, because course. we need to do that so that our listeners will be distracted when I commit murder. Oh, for sure. Do you want to do karaoke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I had sex with my brother. I, oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> what a fun movie we're talking about today. I think that that intro went as about as well as it could have. Yeah, and I I don't even know if I was like unintentionally doing a Blake Lively impression, but I feel like I kind of nailed it regardless. Oh yeah. I could like sense your elegant coat from <laughs> across the Zoom call. Her outfits. Her outfits in this movie, good lord, so <laughs> so good. Good. Ugh. Truly. Well, welcome to the Bechtel cast. Uh my name is Jamie Loftus. My name is Caitlin Durante, and this is or our is show. <gasps> what if my name is actually Hope? or faith which one i don't know charity or there's so many charity <laughs> there's yeah this <laughs> or it might be claudia the secret I never know i could yeah there was at some point i'm like this is we gotta pare it down i'm getting confused <laughs> right <laughs> but this is our show where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the bechtel test as a jumping off point which is a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel. There are many variations of the test. The one that we are using is 
The test requires that two people of a marginalized gender must have names and speak to each other about something other than a man for a two-line exchange of dialogue, ideally more than that, Mm -hmm. and hopefully that exchange is narratively meaningful. Today, we're not going to have many problems. No. Hmm. No, we're not. No need to get into the weeds, which is interesting because we are on a, as we were just discussing off mic, we're on a bit of a noir kick right now. And uh, the first noir we covered, uh, (laughs) we had a lot of trouble uh, (laughs) finding two women at all and getting in the same room, you know? (laughs) Right. So, you know, what a difference almost 80 years makes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. So today's movie is A Simple Favor, and we have a magnificent guest joining us to discuss. Mm-hmm. She is a writer and culture critic. It's Kate Young. Hi. Hello. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. We're so excited to have you. Oh my you. gosh, it's been a long time coming. We're thrilled to have you. And we're really excited you brought us this movie. It's been a long time request since it came out. It has, People have yeah. been yammering on about how we need to cover this movie sorry caitlina hates our (laughs) listeners (laughs) i mean i understand why like this is the movie that turned me around on lake lively like i really i think i the first time i watched it i think i watched it on like a bootleg on my laptop and i was like this is incredible (laughs) and i've seen it like five million times since then Okay, so you're, I was just, we were just about to ask about your relationship with the movie. Yeah. You're a big fan. It, funnily enough, it came out the same year that I started listening to this podcast. Oh, and wow. I, it, I was going to the New York Film Festival for the first time, and I was staying with a cousin in, I think, like Harlem. And I wasn't doing anything except like going to screenings and like watching TV on my laptop. I think that was like the same year that like the first season of You was on Lifetime and no one was watching. I'm cooler than everyone. But, um, <laughs> Um, it had come out and I was just like, I don't really want to like figure out like a movie phantom. I like, you know, secret know all the bootleg sites. Mm-hmm. So I found a, a, a video and I, and I watched it cause I've been hearing such great things about it. And I was like, there's no way, like Blake Live is not a particularly strong actress. There's no way this movie is good. And I watched it and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Clearly like someone on her team has like figured out what her sweet spot is and like put her exactly in it. Like, they know how to find her, like, just that specific kind of, like, B-movie plot that is going to play to her strengths. Like, it's been a long-standing, like, pet peeve of mine that, like, she was a breakout star of Gossip Girl because rude. But (laughs) this, I feel like this is the first thing that she's done that's, like, kind of justified it. Like, I really, really love this movie. She is 100% the star. She completely makes it worth it. Like, and I don't think that anyone else could have done it the same way that she did. Mm Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I was, I guess, I guess I never really thought about, I, I, I didn't watch Gossip Girl as it was coming out, um, which I don't know if I regret that or not, because I started to watch it for the first time over the summer, and I was like, um, okay, interesting. <laughs> interesting. I got to the Hillary Duff season, and then I had to stop. Oh, God. <laughs> that's gnarly no that was a very specific moment in time you had to be 17 to appreciate it oh my god hillary duff in like 14 infinity scarves at once i was like this is a lot i need to i need to slow down we're just we're just having threesomes with vanessa well i gotta watch this show i guess it's pretty i mean if you want to see everything happen then this is the show to see it happen on um but i i always associate her with sisterhood of the traveling pants Oh, right. Mm-hmm. That is the yeah. one other thing I've seen her in. I, th- 
I think that that was like maybe her first thing or like close to her first thing. I think so. Yeah. So I I always had pleasant associations with her because I was a pants head. I don't know what they were calling that <laughs> fandom. I was 12. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, had you seen this movie before? What's your yeah, relationship with it? I had. I saw it. Um, I didn't see it in theaters. I think I saw it maybe the year after it came out. Someone sat me down and made me watch it, and I really, really enjoyed it, um, which I was kind of surprised that I enjoyed it because I wasn't a particularly big fan of Blake Lively or Anna Kendrick. I think just because I am theater kid resistant to some degree. <laughs> and so, but but like you're saying, Kate, this movie actually turned me around pretty significantly on both of them because, it, and also, I mean, I'm always thrilled to see Henry Golding. And so mm. that was a treat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's also like so many fun comics in this movie too like a part in Entrello's in yes. it Patty Harrison is in it like there's a fun supporting cast too yeah I like this movie and I was really um especially after we had just done a like classic noir I was excited to go into like a very smart and funny modern noir and I mean I've got stuff to mm-hmm. talk I mean I think I mostly just have like questions <laughs> about this movie <laughs> but uh I'm excited to talk about it with y'all yeah uh, Caitlin what's your history with this movie I had not seen it. Ooh, I remember all the buzz around it when it came out and I had every intention of seeing it, but I just like never got around to it and it kept slipping like further and further down my list and then I just never saw it. But I like I'm glad that we're doing this episode to like have given me the excuse to have seen it because it was a very interesting and challenging watch for me mm-hmm. i don't know what to make of this movie and i'm gonna need both of your help to... i have a lot of thoughts about it. yeah i'm very i don't know it, it was just i i'm not really sure what the intention of the movie is because it seems like it's asking the audience to empathize with anna kendrick's character by the end but i'm like but i don't so <laughs> yeah so what's what <laughs> yeah no i uh i also resent being asked to relate with anna kendrick i was i was thinking about this today because i was eating a tuna sandwich in public and i'm like anna kendrick wouldn't do this and i'm supposed to relate <laughs> i'm supposed to relate I, I i just have theater kid prejudice it's fine i like that she brings 110 <laughs> percent. it's funny because i didn't get that at all like i I mean, I don't dislike her by the end of the movie, but I sh- like she's not the person that I gravitate towards. And I did not get the sense that the movie wants us to be on her side or to like her the best at all. I that's, wasn't uh, sure. That's good to hear. Yeah. But like certain narrative and cinematic choices that are made makes me think that the movie is sort of asking that of you. But maybe maybe not. Maybe I'm just like misinterpreting the intent. I don't, I don't know. But yeah, I, I'm excited to talk about that further. Yeah, I guess I wasn't really sure i I guess you would assume that you're trying to connect with anna kendrick harder than blake lively but even so like that didn't take me out of it i was just like these women are Mm -hmm. all over the place oh my god (laughs) um well let's should we get into it yeah let's get into it i will attempt to recap this very complicated movie (laughs) so we open on stephanie that's anna kendrick recording her vlog which is directed at moms. It might even be called like, hi, mom. Yeah. Hi, moms. God, I love, I do like the, the vlogger commentary. I feel like, especially like, I'm sure it'll seem dated very soon and already a little bit. I'm like, Oh, this old interface. Interesting. Mm -hmm. But 
Anna Kendrick is the perfect. I mean, you could so easily see her like pivoting to lifestyle content. She's like one flop away from a lifestyle content career at any given moment anyways. (laughs) Right. And and I say that with love. But like she she's got it. She's got the cadence. Also, I love that her name and like her character's name is literally Stephanie Smothers, which is like her whole deal. (laughs) It's so great. (laughs) Uh, I did appreciate that. So in her vlog, she mentions the disappearance of her best friend, Emily, who has at this point been missing for five days. Then we flash back to Stephanie and Emily, played by Blake Lively, meeting for the first time. Their sons go to school together. Stephanie is a stay-at-home mom. Her whole thing is that she's this, like, super mom. Her vlog is all about, like, recipes and how to make all these, like, cool It's lifestyle. It's mommy blogging lifestyle. Clicky. Crafty foods. Right. And I I think, Kate, I I don't know if you have any knowledge on this because I have occasionally uh, gone down the the mommy's vlogging from home hole. But I feel like this movie was maybe a little early, like, in a good way, early Mm -hmm. to mommy blogs pivoting to true crime which has definitely been a thing i feel like especially in huh. lockdown so many people pivoted to true crime i don't know just because like i am not a true crime person so i'm not super tapped into like what those people are doing i have no clue <laughs> <laughs> as is your right as is your right. i know i'm just like i'm like just give me like podcasts about movies like i don't want to hear about murder woman that's not fun same i went through like a two-week phase in lockdown I I mean everyone went through 500 two-week phases in lockdown but (laughs) where I someone someone came into my algorithm and then I just let her hang around for a while her name was (laughs) Stephanie and she was doing this these really long vlogs called like coffee and true crime and it was like oh and and the videos have millions of views she was basically doing Anna Kendrick cosplay (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness so Stephanie is this super mom her son's name is Miles. Uh, she's also kind of like a goody two-shoes, which is in stark contrast to Emily. She has a very high-power, high-stress job. She's very elegant and high-class, but she's also very crass and abrasive. Her son's name is Nikki. Their sons want to have a play date, so Emily reluctantly invites Stephanie and Miles over to her amazing fancy house they all live in connecticut in one of the suburbs of new york city ever heard of it (laughs) and then like the other parents including one played by friend of the cast aparna nocerla Mm -hmm. they comment on how stephanie and emily like have nothing in common they're like what are they even going to talk about but emily and stephanie get to know each other emily mentions her husband sean who is a writer who wrote a book like 10 years ago. Who is Henry Golding. Yes. Yeah, he shows up at some point and it's Henry Golding. He's in um, He's in Paul Feig's movie after this, right? The Christmas movie? Last Christmas? Oh, is that Paul Feig? Yes, but I don't think that's a Paul Feig movie. Yeah. Maybe Paul Feig just produced it or something. That was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life, by the way. No, he did direct Last Christmas. He did? Oh. He did. I yeah. Didn't know he directed I I I was feeling out I of my mind. Yeah, no, that. he 
He did. And it also and that movie also has a very chaotic series of plot huh? twists that happened very, very close together. It's just less satisfying in that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Henry Golding, 500 plot twists in a row. Paul Feig. It's a whole genre. Wow. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah. It's it's Leo DiCaprio being submerged in water in his clothes all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Oh, my God. What an exciting day for us when we were... <laughs> God, I think I was like in a cabin in the middle of the woods and we were just screaming at each other over a poor internet connection. Like, (laughs) it's all coming together. What a normal time. (laughs) Okay, so we meet Sean. He is a writer. He wrote a book like 10 years ago that Stephanie has read and really liked. Hmm. We learn that Stephanie's husband and brother died in a car accident. So she's a single mom now. Then one day, Emily asks Stephanie if she can pick up her son, Nikki, and look after him until Emily gets home from work. And then she does. They hang out again. They drink martinis. They're loose. And they tell each other some secrets. Stephanie reveals that after her father passed away when she was 18 years old, she met her half-brother that she never knew that she had. And then she reveals that she had sex with him. See, this is where I do connect with Anna Kendrick's character and not in the way that you do. <laughs> uh, Jamie, but <laughs> care to clarify that? Oh See, here's where I felt like representation mattered. No, I... <laughs> okay, bear with me. But no, the, the whole, like, the dynamic, and it's, like, obviously very exaggerated because it's a noir and Anna Kendrick's in the scene, so it's inherent. I'm being so mean to her. But, um, <laughs> but the whole idea of, like, making a new like friend who's a woman and being really swept up and like taken into a friendship and like immediately oversharing to an absurd degree mm-hmm. and then like having that be a problem later. I've had this problem before. <laughs> I've had this problem. It reminds me of like getting drunk in the park with a new friend and then being like, do you want to know the worst thing that's ever happened to me? And they're like, yes. I don't know. I love intense friendships, but they're scary. Yes. That aspect of her character is relatable. Yeah, I like it. Others, not not so much. much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But when Emily... What do you mean? (laughs) When Emily learns this, she's like, oh my God, you brother fucker, which she says a million times throughout the movie. And she seems to revel in this juicy gossip. Yeah. Not long after this... Emily asks Stephanie to do her another simple favor. She needs Stephanie to pick Nikki up from school again until Emily gets home. Except Emily never comes home that night. Stephanie calls Emily's office and learns that Emily is in Miami for a few days. Sean is meanwhile overseas, but he comes back a couple days later. He picks up Nikki, but there's still no word from Emily. So they decide to call the police who start investigating Emily being missing. Mm -hmm. Stephanie also goes to Emily's office to do some digging. She finds an unflattering photo of Emily, which she then posts around town as a missing persons flyer. Which is not nice. (laughs) Yeah. Which, to be fair to her, it's because she doesn't have any other photos of her because Emily is very secretive about the fact. That's true. 
that she is in hiding, which we don't know yet, but like won't let her take her photo. Exactly. Yes. Is that a smart thing to do is like have someone in your life that's like, if I ever go missing, please use this picture. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to email all my friends. Be like, I approve this image of me. I historically have very bad. I mean, it seems suspicious to do. It seems like you're about to disappear yourself. But I... (laughs) I do think that they're, I don't know, I think I just historically, no one is ever picking the picture of me that I want them to. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, on the upside, well, I guess on the downside, if you're missing, you're probably (laughs) dead, so you won't care. True. That's true. (laughs) I'll be wringing my hands in the afterlife being like, "Um, no wonder they didn't find me. I'm much cuter than that. (laughs) (laughs) I did set my cousin to take over my Facebook account if I die, so... Oh, wait, is that something you can do? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's like they like they get access to it and they can like memorialize it and like mm. confirm that you're dead and like get all your passwords and delete all your shit if you need them to. Huh. Yeah. That's yeah. Wow. <laughs> we're in the future, aren't we? Fun morbid talk on the cast today. <laughs> <laughs> so much for not liking dead women. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so they've posted the flyer. They find out that Emily rented a Kia from an airport that the police are trying to track. And then a fan of Stephanie's vlog thinks she spotted Emily in Michigan. Hmm. So they have kind of like a lead now. Also, by the way, with Emily gone, Stephanie and Sean have started to connect a bit more. They're getting closer such as like Stephanie is like coming over and like Stephanie. cooking dinner for Sean and the kids. Weird of her. Yeah. <laughs> she makes a lot of very weird choices. Yeah, she really takes a turn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then Emily's body is found in a lake in Michigan. Apparently she had drowned and Stephanie and Sean mourn the loss of Emily. And then immediately after that, they have sex with each other. Oops. Uh, we all grieve differently, you know? I was, oh I was going to say, I was like, there's no one wrong way to grieve. And if your grieving involves having sex with Henry Golding, <laughs> you could do worse. Maybe you've unlocked a new level of grieving. Um, one day, not long after this, Detective Somerville shows up and informs Stephanie that Emily had heroin in her system when she died and that Sean took out a $4 million life insurance policy on Emily before she disappeared. So all of this seems very suspicious. And also the audience is kind of wondering at this point if Stephanie had something to do with Emily's disappearance because she's acting a bit erratic. But either way, Stephanie starts to do some more digging And she and Sean keep getting closer. He asks her to move in with him. They tell each other that they love each other. Mm -hmm. But then one day, Nikki mentions that he saw his mom, that she had come around to the playground at school. And there seem to be other hints that maybe Emily isn't actually dead after all. Right. Including what appears to be Emily blackmailing Stephanie with the information that Stephanie had sex with her brother. And that's why you don't get too drunk on the first friend date. (laughs) (laughs) And then Emily still being alive is confirmed when she calls Stephanie on the phone. 
Emily knows that Stephanie and Sean have like been having sex and that they're in a relationship. So now Stephanie is suspecting that Emily and Sean are working together to try to fuck over Stephanie somehow. Mm -hmm. This is also around the time that we get a flashback where Stephanie and Emily kiss. Then we learn of a relationship, a former relationship that Stephanie had with a woman named Diana Highland, played by Linda Cardellini, who had painted a number of nude portraits of Emily Except when Stephanie goes to her to, like, get some information, Diana is like, her name isn't Emily. Her name is Claudia. Mm. And they had kind of a weird relationship where Emily had, like, taken a lot of money from Diana. And then also there is this, like, summer camp sweatshirt that is a clue that Emily might be from Michigan. So then Stephanie goes to Michigan to this summer camp which leads to Emily's parents' house. We meet Emily's mom, who is played by Jean Smart. Mm. Also around this time, Stephanie learns that Emily had a twin sister and that their real names are Hope and Faith. Right. So Emily reappears and links up with Sean. And he's all like, what the hell? I always find it, I mean, it's fun to watch, but I'm like, the fact that Stephanie continues to vlog through this experience of like feels like we're leaving a lot of evidence like on I mean not that people don't do that on on their vlogs they do constantly mm-hmm. but it's it's just like she's really she's really laying it on thick in the vlogs I liked I mean that is like one of the I feel like stronger cool like themes through this movie that modernizes it is that like Stephanie is genuinely like getting something out of this trauma that is basically unrelated to her. She's like built like mm-hmm. like we've seen unfortunately like a lot of creators build themselves up based on the trauma of others and it's like right. to some extent I mean it's also it is also happening to her. Um but it's just like oh yeah this is actually something that happens in the world. Yeah, she's like 100% exploiting her friend's disappearance to get more followers. She's of leaning in, girl boss. She's going for it. <laughs> well, I mean, they're best friends. <laughs> I mean, they only met like three times, but they're best friends. How they're many? Best okay. Friends. I was trying to figure out what the Use timeline code Hello of this Fresh was. For... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many times have they hung out before Emily disappears? Because it I mean, seems like it might've been like four or five times. I think so. Because I think, like, the first time is, I think, when she tells her about the brother fucking and she meets Henry Golding. Um, there's the flashback scene. Oh, no, no. The first one those is Those are two different times, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those are two different times. So that's at least twice. The graveyard scene is after she disappears. So that doesn't count. Mm-hmm. And... There's the one where they kiss. So, and I think that's a separate time. So that's at least three times. It's at least three times. And it, that might be it. Yeah. But Stephanie keeps being like we're best friends and i'm not sure how much of that is like stephanie not having much self-awareness i think it's a little or... bit of both because <laughs> right. like in the end when they pull this like big gambit mm-hmm. stephanie says something to the effect of like you're not just saying that right? like you really are best friends because i thought it was just me and then like goes yes of course like i you know i was feeling it too and then she shoots her so <laughs> it's like <laughs> i think that that was really fun for me, just because it's like, in the same way that you guys are like, she's doing a lot. I feel like that is like a, a feeling that a lot of people have. That's like very common to female friendships where it's like, 
am I coming off too strong? Do I like them enough? Do they like me enough? Like, is this reciprocated? Mm-hmm. And, like, how to kind of navigate that, especially given the, like, queer overtones for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. Yeah. It is, yeah. Okay, so Emily reappears. She meets up with Sean in a restaurant He's all like, what the hell? She's wearing this little hat. Yeah, she's like very incognito. She's wearing sunglasses. Why was I so in love with her when she was wearing that hat? I was like, oh, she's being so mean and she's wearing a hat. I love it. Sean is like, what the hell? I thought you were dead. And she's like, well, I faked my death to collect the $4 million. Keep up, Sean. (laughs) But Stephanie keeps meddling in this whole situation and tells the insurance people that maybe the body they found is Emily's twin sister that she's discovered Mm -hmm. that she had. Um, So then suddenly Stephanie and Emily meet up at Emily's gravesite. Both wearing good outfits yet again. And a cane. But I'm like, how did they... I want to know what happened to like arrange this meetup. But anyway. The blogs. Oh, was it? Yeah. Did she say, like, I'm going to the grave site? She was like, I think there's one where she was like, I'm going to go toast in your memory or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Right. Got it. Yeah, because the vlogs slowly just become like, it's she's clout chasing, but she's also Straight like. Straight up messages to her, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just talking to Blake Lively. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay, so we find out that Hope, which is Emily's real name, and her twin sister Faith, had burned down part of their parents' house and had killed their father when they were teenagers because their father was abusive. And then after that, they flee and part ways. And they don't see each other for years and years, the two sisters, until recently when they meet up. But Emily's sister is an addict. She needs money. She's trying to blackmail Emily. So Emily drowns her in the lake. Uh, And that's whose body they find. But Emily tells Stephanie that the drowning was a suicide and that Sean was in on this plan from the beginning and that they were just using Stephanie to, like, take care of their son uh, until they were able to collect the insurance money. What a... What a long, what a what okay. a long con! What a risky long con to be like. Oh, we just needed to exploit your labor, yeah. which is like, it's, oh, okay. There's okay. that bit in the middle where Andrew Ronald's like, it's like, oh, you're you took you took on the nanny position, and she's like, no, we're friends. And then when she leaves, she goes, she doesn't know she's working for free, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that he. I forgot he was in this movie. Mm-hmm. I love him. Yeah. Okay, so Emily reveals all this stuff to Stephanie, but because Stephanie has like meddled in the whole insurance collecting thing, now everyone's kind of like at an impasse where they like don't, no one really knows what to do. So then Stephanie goes to Sean and Emily's house. Mm -hmm. Stephanie fake shoots Sean and in so doing tries to trick Emily into confessing to the murder of her sister. But Emily won't be so easily duped. And she actually shoots her husband, Sean. But it turns out that Stephanie was secretly live streaming the whole thing on her vlog. On her tiny nanny cam. On her tiny (laughs) nanny cam. Her vlog has gotten, we've seen it like grow in popularity throughout the movie. And so everyone was watching Emily shoot her husband. Uh, So she gets arrested 
Then we get some text at the end that says that Stephanie's vlog was purchased by like a huge like publishing. Condé Nast. Condé Nast. Yeah. (laughs) And she also takes on cold cases. So now she's like a private eye kind of thing. (laughs) Sean and his son, Nikki, are doing fine. And Sean moved to California and is now the head of the lit department at UC Berkeley. And he and, wrote a second book. Right. He called wrote a the second Oopsie book. Jar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is silly. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then Emily is serving a 20 year prison sentence and has adjusted to prison life very well. And that is the end of the movie. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back to discuss. <laughs> Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. 
and we're back where shall we start here where do we want to start um maybe we should just pick something out of a hat at this point there's so much to do <laughs> there's truly we've 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 got some shit to talk about um i mean i feel like we should just like start with the costumes because i feel like that's such mm. that's such a, a big draw um i mean obviously like, the main focus in terms of like the visually striking costumes are with emily and blake lively and it was definitely a big draw to me. I think that was <laughs> part of what drew me into that character specifically and part of why I don't think we're supposed to like Stephanie that much because I feel like it's it's like the same issue that I had with like, what is it, Mrs. America on Hulu or whatever that came last year. Like you don't give me mm. like a super fun diva and like great costumes and then tell me to root against her. It doesn't work right, that way. Right. Um, um, so... <laughs> So I love I loved all of the suits and like how stylish they are and like the way that they were able to kind of construct these like really feminine lines with like traditionally male attire. Mm-hmm. But I I also really liked how they were able to kind of contrast that with these this like two sections of her life. Cuz she's in these suits when she's like dealing with Emily and that's kind of not with Emily with Stephanie. And that's part of why Stephanie is like so enamored with her and thinks she's so cool and like wants to be her best friend because like obviously so do I. <laughs> but but like she's not dressed like that when she like finally meets up with his sister before she kills her or like when she meets up with the husband to tell him that she's still alive or even at the very end when they're doing this big gambit like there there's such a huge contrast between the suit she wears in the beginning of the film and like this like 50s housewife getup that she has on mm. when she's turned up and like told them that her husband tried to murder her because she's essentially doing like white woman in peril cosplay like very effectively (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. the the knowledge that she has of like how to kind of i'm not sure that manipulate is the right way but to like situate herself in relation to other people like she is nearly always overdressed like in every scene Mm -hmm. and it still doesn't feel like out of place and I know for me like what I thought was really fun is that I think it's the first time that Stephanie comes over where the boys are there she's making her a meat martini and she starts undressing and like pulling the pieces of the suit apart and you realize that it's not a suit at all actually it's just pieces put together (laughs) to look like a suit and so it's like a metaphor for her whole life. It's like this big, fancy, beautiful thing, but it's really just like a trick meant to, to confuse you. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it a lot because I, I felt like she has so much like swagger and I feel like, I don't know how to explain it. I keep trying to tell people like, like I, I have decided for myself that like eye contact is gay, but there's not actually a ton of it in this movie. <laughs> yeah. But she does have like a very... <laughs> She does have, like, a very masculine swagger, which I find very attractive. And that's, like, yeah. aided by the costuming mm-hmm. um, and the walking stick that she uses for some reason later in the film, which she apparently mm-hmm. stole from Paul Feek, like, on the day of the shoot. Oh, really? That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's his. <laughs> I think she was doing some uh, interview, and she was like, I just decided I wanted it. I asked him for it, and he told me fine. Yeah. And and I really love that. And I, and I like that she, it's, like, something that she's very aware of because I think, like, once we get – through the plot and we deal with like the Linda Carlini character and everything like it becomes very clear that she's a person who's like reinvented herself a lot mm-hmm. and like this is just the latest iteration of that and this is the the, the persona that suits her current life mm-hmm. yeah I, I totally agree that's like better put than I ever uh, could have done with costume analysis so thank you <laughs> and I also I mean I also felt like 
a lot of I mean Blake Lively's costumes specifically because I feel like they're really given Anna Kendrick the full target very intentionally um <laughs> yeah for the entire movie until the very end but I I like I feel like Blake Blake Lively's wardrobe also reminds you that this is a noir movie all the time because her outfits are mm-hmm. definitely like referencing the 40s and 50s I mean especially in that last scene when she's like you know being the devil and wearing a house like a Donna Reed dress and like I mm. I just I don't know I, th- I think I'm just like in the noir zone right now but I I really appreciated how that like the references to the genre's origins were made even through the costuming which was um mm-hmm. kind of cool and that actually that brought me to I'm, I'm wondering if I'm missing anything but there did seem to be and maybe it's still happening and I just don't realize it but there were three noir movies with with these kind of femme fatale characters modernized they came out within five years of each other that just had all of these similarities and I don't know if it's anything but I was just like this is so bizarre where this movie came out in 2018 uh there was a lot made of like oh this belongs to the like oeuvre of Gone Girl and Girl on the Train and then this is like the comedy flavor of that kind of uh mm. modern femme fatale in a simple favor and there's um and I, I like a simple favor in Gone Girl. I didn't like the girl on the train. That's my business. But there is like a lot of similarities, even in the production of those movies, where I feel like part of what makes them different is that they're all adapted from books by women. Mm-hmm. They're adapted into screenplays by women. And they're all directed by kind of like legacy male directors, um, mm-hmm. which I don't I don't know. It feels like an interesting kind of like half step um, in the way that we talk about mm-hmm. a, a lot of the time where I was really happy to see that all three of these movies were written by kind of like seasoned female screenwriters. And also it's like, oh, but they all were directed by uh, very famous men, which I guess is the only way you can get a movie made still. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because, I mean, we talked about on the recent Double Indemnity episode about how despite some efforts to reclaim the femme fatale character, ultimately that archetype was men think women are scary whereas these like you know neo-noir way more recent you know crime thrillers are especially the ones that you cited jamie are stories that are crafted by women so they're taking some tropes of the genre that feel familiar but subverting them or updating them yeah like less mental gymnastics to to get there but um right yeah which makes for far more interesting and nuanced characters especially the women in the movie (laughs) i like okay so for stephanie and emily i mean there's so much to talk about regarding their friendship there's so much to talk about regarding them as just like individuals I don't, I don't, I don't even know. Where should we, should we just like start with Stephanie and then we'll just go from there? I don't know. Yeah. I'm like trying to figure out what the order, what like the order of operations <laughs> is here. Right. <laughs> yeah. So Stephanie, um, thoughts? I like don't <laughs> know what, okay, let, let me just pose this question to start. Hmm. Did Stephanie kill her dad and... Did Stephanie kill her brother and her husband? That is what I was thinking for a large chunk of the movie. She did not kill her dad or her brother or her husband. Okay, I was like, wait a second. She, are we sure? What? <laughs> yes. 
her dad died and he either had a previous son or a secret son that part's unclear but she has a half brother who showed up to the funeral or the right wake or the whatever and then she slept with him and her right. son is very probably her brother's yes and her husband was like you guys are too close it's kind of weird and then he was mad about it and was like, let's go handle this like men. And then they got into a car accident and died. Yeah. I, th- I, I thought right. that that was just the traumatic backstory for her. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure. Right? Did I miss something? Oh, I it don't is. think she killed yes. anybody. The, uh, she didn't. No. Yeah. She didn't kill them. <laughs> they just died doing men things. That's a wild theory, though, Kayla. I That's my theory. <laughs> yeah. I think that Stephanie is not as innocent as she seems. And maybe I was just thinking this because. I mean, she was fucking her brother. She's, she was fucking her brother. Famously, she was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they kept showing you and she's loving it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> There's a chunk of the movie where you aren't sure how culpable or not Stephanie is. Because there's a little bit where you're kind of, it's kind of vague, it's open to interpretation. You're wondering, like, wait a minute, did she have something to do with the disappearance of her supposed best friend? That pretty quickly seems to fizzle out as more information comes out. But I think maybe it was just like during that chunk of time where I was like, wow, she seems really guilty. Does this mean she also <laughs> killed all of these family members? And then I just kind of like <laughs> ran with it. But <laughs> okay, so so I guess Stephanie isn't a murderer. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> Give her time. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I liked a lot of the commentary that was being done through Stephanie's character where I feel like sometimes it's like she definitely is a type that I feel like most people who have met a you know a a white millennial mom will recognize which is yeah she's a lot she's doing the most there is like she's not coming from a bad place but it is from a very like vibrating insecurity she is extremely online but it's very curated and very fake but also on top of that, like I feel like sometimes you'll see that archetype presented and then kind of just be like, yeah, let's make fun of this person. She fucking sucks. And this movie doesn't do that. This movie gives her background. It also says like, yeah, she is this. It almost reminds me of, oh, God, not me quoting a Bo Burnham song. Jesus Christ. But like <laughs> the, the like she's a very, very like she's a whatever, quote unquote, basic woman who has trauma and has like a backstory and has um Mm -hmm. more to her than meets the eye on this punishingly boring vlog that she has and i i liked that story choice where it seems like the the writing in this movie it doesn't let her off the hook for um a lot of the i mean and and ultimately especially at the end where i was a little unclear on like and I guess it's just like open interpretation, but how the movie wants you to feel about her like sinister true crime vlog getting bought out by Condé Nast. I'm like, mm, I don't feel like that's really a win for for the culture. But no. uh, <laughs> but as a girl boss capitalist, you know, really thrilled for her that she gets to exploit people's death on YouTube every single day. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like the movie doesn't let her off the hook, but also gives her an appropriate depth Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I liked how she was written. I didn't like her particularly, but I but I don't know. Like you were saying earlier, Kate, I don't know how much we're supposed to really like like her. But I was interested. Yeah, I think the thing with Stephanie is that she is like aggressively normie. Yeah, <laughs> but it read to me like it was very much like a front 
to cover the brother fucking, which I think is part of why, like, Mm. Emily is so delighted when she admits that because she's like, I thought you were this, like, super boring housewife and you're way more, like, interesting than that. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, a thing that she's ashamed of, obviously, but it's also something that she feels like is maybe more true to who she actually is. And so she has to do this, like, very aggressive performance of, like, normativity Mm. to hide that side of herself. And I think that the thing that connects her and Emily is that she kind of sees that. Like, Emily is very, like, cards on the table. Like, I'm in debt. Hate my husband. Isn't that fun? (laughs) And she, like, enjoys how much that puts people off because, like, (laughs) we don't generally just air our laundry out like that. Um, (laughs) And I think for her, like, getting, getting Stephanie to kind of return the favor almost is like delightful to her because she didn't think that there was anything there. Yeah, I I found the way the two main characters and like how they were written and how they were characterized to be interesting and I mean the layers that keep getting peeled back. The information you keep learning about each one because Stephanie, yeah, you learn this thing that she committed an act of incest at least once maybe multi it's, it might be suggested that it's like an ongoing thing excuse you it's only half incest it's, it's only half incest <laughs> i was also i mean that's like a gutsy move to involve an incest plot line in like a paul feig movie right it's because it, i feel like it, it never really registers as like as potentially gross as it actually is. Right. Right. It feels like the movie kind of downplays it. I mean, because the brother, I don't think, like, has any lines, except maybe, like, one right before he dies. Right. Oh, maybe he doesn't. No, I think he might just signal to her, like, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, I guess you don't really get to know him. Yeah. Not even at all. He's like a non-entity, yeah. I do. I mean, it's like, and, and obviously that's a very, very serious issue that this movie isn't equipped to handle, but I wasn't, like, particularly upset with how it's like, well, yeah, if you're going to include that in this movie, you got to, like, skirt around it. Like, we don't have yeah. room in a movie like this to tackle an issue of that magnitude <laughs> yeah i feel like it puts it in 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 a way where emily's reaction is appropriate where it's like not oh my god that's incest but oh my god you're so dirty that's really fun right yeah. right because that's how she would see it yeah which is bizarre <laughs> it is no i mean it's definitely bizarre i i'm also like if if there were viewers who were like, uh, that was fucked up. I totally understand why they would feel that way. <laughs> also, apparently that is like even I and again, this is not a podcast we would where we would ever read, read a, book. a book. We've been saying it for half a decade. <laughs> right. But apparently in the book, that is far more of a an element in, in the book. Oh. And it was actively and intentionally scaled back for this adaptation, which I think I wonder why yeah I'm like that's uh I think a smart move if they absolutely had to include that plot point I feel like they handled it about as gracefully as you could but there's no graceful way to handle an incest plot line so (laughs) right I'm just like what function does this serve exactly besides like giving I guess it gives Emily leverage to blackmail Stephanie when she needs to and then it also just like clues the audience in to Stephanie not being nearly as innocent as she wants people to believe she is like this persona that she puts on I mean there couldn't be a more extreme example of yeah (laughs) right (laughs) right so 
Yeah, I find that all very fascinating in a way that like a lot of movies wouldn't dare tackle something like that. Right. Just isolating Stephanie alone. Like she's such a challenging character Mm -hmm. to analyze. (laughs) For sure. I mean, I feel like it definitely is a case of like, you can, but should you? And the answer in this case is, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Right. But I am always, um, whatever, this is, I guess, my second and third time seeing this movie. But every single time you're like, <laughs> oh, right. That is, <laughs> and also like an Anna Kendrick character. Like, it's just so wild. Yeah. I feel like I can't, maybe my brain hasn't 100% processed that they made that choice. I've had plenty of time to process it. But. Right. <laughs> right. It's so fun, too, because I feel like in this movie, she, like, Anna Kendrick is playing exactly to type. Like, it's, she's the exact, this is the exact character that you think that she would be in real life if you were just making shit up. Like, right. <laughs> it, it's so aggressively, like, that's a kid energy, like you were saying before. Like, it doesn't, there's nothing new. Like, I feel like all of the wild shit that happens in this movie with her, it stops feeling wild because you're like, oh, yeah, of course she would do that. And so, (laughs) I guess if you set that precedent, you're like, oh, well, this woman could do anything at any time. It's like, yeah, duh. I wonder if her character is canonically the character she played in the Twilight Saga Mm. because she was around so many like like this weird vampire family of like kind of brothers and sisters dating each other so she's just like this is normal right Right. Right. true (laughs) she's carrying it over from her twilight experience she's like oh i've been around this dynamic and um you live long enough anyways right okay okay but then even after you learn that information about her backstory more and more layers keep being peeled back of like her showing her true colors or like what she's capable of and you know because she's very meddlesome she's very Mm -hmm. sneaky there's that scene where she talks back to emily's boss Mm -hmm. and like calls him like a bargain basement tom ford and like (laughs) calls him tacky and says all these like really bitchy things to him which is are very funny but we're like oh my god i didn't even you know we didn't know she was capable yeah of that but she like firecracker like one after the next and you wonder like she's just like channeling emily there too she's like i have to do uh, which again is just like ugh, the the intense friendship element of this movie is so like friendship and then some like elements of this movie are so appealing to me because you're like oh like like when you're in a new intense friendship you're like yeah I want to be this person I want like let me see if I can like single white female them in this moment <laughs> you know and I she feel like does it's it. that classic gay impulse of like do I want to be with her or to be her to consume her into my being right and and I feel like that dynamic is like fully on display in this film yeah right and I'm, I I love it I love it so which, much which I'm also curious about your thoughts on that aspect of their relationship specifically because there's that scene we get the flashback toward the end of the you know it, it's like yeah. quite a ways into the movie where they kiss and it's after Stephanie has revealed that she feels responsible for the death of both her husband and her brother you know she's crying and that leads to this kiss between her and Emily and then they both kind of like brush it off is like oh I'm embarrassed and then Emily's like oh no big deal just another Tuesday for me (laughs) and I thought that was like setting up a different ending for the movie that they would actually like 
join forces and interesting exploit maybe like sean and like because they do kind of like try to yeah send him off to jail but then but then the there's ending a moment goes... where that's under consideration but it lasts about <laughs> yeah. 30 seconds right <laughs> it's confusing yeah, yeah. it's because i feel like the movie it's it's very gay in its sensibility but it's also like aggressively heterosexual in a lot of ways and it's kind of hard like I'm I feel like they do a good job of balancing those two things because like in my mind this is a gay film Mm -hmm. but it's not actually all that gay no like if you really think about it and like everyone's endings are very normy and heterosexual although to be Mm -hmm. fair I'm not sure if they say that Stephanie is dating someone from the city or a guy from That's the city. True. So if it's somebody, then it could be a lady. Right. You don't know. True. But I think in general, like, it definitely frames these relationships as, like, transactional, romantic, heterosexual relationships. Mm-hmm. And that moment between Emily and Stephanie, I'm, I'm honestly not even sure what to make of it except for the fact that, because, like, Emily, at least we know, is, like, at least by curious because she has this previous relationship with Linda Carlini. Yeah, I think that she I mean and then she also mentions that like she had a relationship with a with a female TA at some point. I yes, think she's that's canonically so bisexual. She, yeah. So there mm-hmm. you go. So for me it, it makes sense that she is kind of like cuz I think a lot of what Emily's doing too is like all of her relationships are about like power and the exchange of power even if they're not actually sexual. Mm-hmm. And so I think for in that moment it's very much like I don't do like hugs and comfort and whatever, but I can do sex Mm. and sex is power. Mm. So it's the Mm -hmm. same thing. Mm. Well, that got me wondering, I think her sexuality is not super clear because even though it suggested that she had a romantic relate or at least like a sexual relationship with Linda Cardellini's character, I interpreted that as Emily basically just like using her exploiting that situation for money yeah because Mm -hmm. linda carnellini is like yeah i paid her way through college and then (laughs) and it seemed like a very one-sided relationship where she's like i was like she was the best sex i ever had and like she was my muse and i painted her and it was great and da 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 but then emily just like bailed and abandoned her and Mm -hmm. but then it's like emily does that to men as well like it seems like she's an equal opportunity like bailer just a chaos bisexual it's awesome yeah it's like i don't think that that like precludes her from being bisexual if that she's a shitty girlfriend a stronger case <laughs> i wanted to bring up there there was a a fun piece i read about this movie on a website called into more.com called uh but how gay is a simple favor it was a fun and useful tool <laughs> written by a writer named kevin o'keefe and he references a trope that I don't know if we've ever uh, addressed on this show before. He does not make the argument that Emily, he's kind of ambiguous of whether he thinks Emily falls into this trope, but it's just one that we haven't talked about that I feel like is often pulled into a femme fatale character, mm-hmm. um, which is the depraved bisexual trope. Have we talked about this before, Caitlin? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. The depraved bisexual trope. Okay, let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm am thinking wheels are turning. <laughs> this was new to me also. I might be into it. Right. And then once you hear the characters that are referenced, I'm like, okay, I understand what is being referenced here. It was mm-hmm. first brought up by a writer named Devin Price in 2018, the year of the simple favor um, <laughs> that we can link in the description. I was just curious on both of your thoughts on this. So quoting from Devin Price's piece. 
quote, a depraved bisexual is a character usually in a work of fiction whose bisexuality is used as an indicator that they are untrustworthy, perverse, and morally corrupt. They are often depicted as impulsive, even unstable or mentally ill. Depraved bisexuals are not merely attracted to some women and some men. They are salacious and undiscriminating, perhaps willing to fuck anything that moves. Mm. Their sexuality in the narrative is the source of distraction and corruption. They are often depicted as having explosive emotions and a deep streak of hedonism and other animalistic urges. Because they cannot quote-unquote decide on a gender to be attracted to, as the logic goes, they also cannot say no to anything sexual or pleasurable. And he kind of proceeds to break this down character by character. He references Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct. He references Poison Ivy in Batman the Animated Series. I don't know. I just It was not a trope I had come across before. And the writer, Kevin O'Keefe, he's not making an argument that Emily is a depraved bisexual because I think that there is like more to her than that. But it was just not something Mm. that I'd encountered before. I mean, it's describing a trope. I feel like depraved is a strong word, but (laughs) I would argue yes, only because I feel like the I I am familiar with the the idea that like bisexual means you can't choose and you'll do anything with anyone and like. I don't agree, obviously, but I, I was on I was on the Queer Quadrant podcast a couple of weeks back, and we talked about um, the movie um, Side Effects with mm. Rooney Mara and um, Catherine Zeta Jones, and they are Ooh, also bisexual. That. It's great. Um, and one of the things I talked about on that show is this idea that like it's not like great representation of queer people for them to be like villains doing like bad things, but also like that's the most fun. Like, I, right. <laughs> I'm always on the side of the bisexual doing chaotic things. Like, mm-hmm. I'm always on their side. I'm always going to choose them. Like, I don't care if you murdered your husband. Like, maybe he deserved it. That's not my problem. <laughs> like, I, and so, like, I'm leaning towards, like, yes, she falls into that trope. I just don't mind because, like, I just feel like Quivalents are always more fun. Like, there's a reason, like, so many of them have been reclaimed over the years. Like, mm-hmm. especially when you put those characters and the other characters that are either explicitly queer or coded queer in the context of, like, the persecution that they face in the world. It's like, why wouldn't they go a little hog wild and, like, do some weird (laughs) shit to people? Like, they deserve to. The world's miserable. Right. And it's like all of the characters that this trope are attributed to are beloved characters. Exactly. So it's like, it is it is complicated. But I did, I just had never, um, I guess I'd never, like, read the A to C of like conflating bisexuality mm-hmm. with I mean because the chaotic bisexual walks among us the chaotic <laughs> everyone walks among us um but but in like in fiction um conflating that and the stereotypes that you know incorrect mm-hmm. marginalizing stereotypes associated with bisexual people yeah. and how that translates to their to their chaos it was like oh mm-hmm. this is new to me and it does seem like Emily falls into this trope to some degree but i also yeah really like that character so yeah you know i I feel like it's a little cuspy because like she is bisexual and she is chaotic but i also feel like the movie in general it's not that sexual like all of the sex i feel like is Mm -hmm. implied other than the one sex scene with her brother but other than that like it's it's very much like an implication like you're supposed to feel that the characters are sexy Mm -hmm. as opposed to that they are having sex necessarily and so i i i don't get the like that there's a direct connection between like her desire for or 
engaging in sex as directly related to the crimes she does. Like, she kills her dad because Mm -hmm. he's abusive, and then she, like, Mm -hmm. does a gone girl on herself because they're deeply in debt and need money. Like, she didn't... None of that stuff is, like, because I'm trying to trap a man or trap a woman, for that matter. Like, they're all, like, practical considerations. Her, Her, like, femme fatale motivation is all based in, like, class issues and money problems. It isn't, like you know whatever we just did the double indemnity episode of like i don't like my husband i'd like for him to disappear which is like i don't hate that motivation either but this is like a very like (laughs) same practical motivation at the end of the day which i thought was kind of cool that this movie doesn't really like whack you over the head with it but they do like Mm -hmm. address class to some extent at the beginning with stephanie you know being the i mean like she's they're a middle class target family like they're okay Mm -hmm. uh but she is talking about you know, how she has to live off of her her dead husband's life insurance and how there's a lot of budgeting and a lot of money stress associated with maintaining her son's quality of life. And then you learn about all the Blake Lively debt and just, mm-hmm. I don't know, it, it's always cool to hear money talked about kind of frankly in a movie, especially like a genre movie. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, going back to sex really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? Which is uh-huh, uh-huh, the uh-huh. best transition little sentence You're I've ever said. Um, <laughs> come to think of it, the sexually charged moments in the movie that you see, uh-huh. like, for example, when when Emily is having sex or implied to want sex from her husband, because there's a scene in the airplane after she revealed that she stole his mother's ring. ring. Chaos. And then he, he's like, what the fuck did you, like, that was a horrible thing for you to do. And she's like, haha, shut up. Also come into the bathroom and have sex with me. So she's like almost using sex as like, a distraction yeah uh because she does it again after she like reappears and is like surprise husband i'm not dead after all and she like pretends to shoot him with like a gun that isn't loaded and then she's like tee hee hee i'll be in the bathroom coming in 20 seconds if you want to have sex <laughs> yeah. with me um, i honestly was like rooting for her in that moment i was like what? yes <laughs> Oh, give me the confidence to do that for one minute. Because how could you not? I know. Like, you do want to, like, in those moments, I'm like, I want to I want to be her in that moment. I want to be the person that steals a ring and then is like, don't worry, just have sex with me. You'll forget all about it, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, compare those moments where she's, like, clearly using sex as, like, a manipulation tactic. Compare that to the kiss that she shares with Stephanie, which feels at least it felt to me like it was way more authentic and Mm -hmm. tender Mm -hmm. you could make the argument that it's also manipulative on sure emily's part maybe also stephanie's part hard to say Mm -hmm. because both of these characters are very complicated and sneaky and they're both like different degrees of femme fatale which is kind of fun to have like yeah (laughs) right 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 Yeah. yeah they're just like opposites of each other in a lot of ways i feel like so maybe i'm going back on what i like because i wasn't sure the authenticity to emily's bisexuality but now i'm like wait maybe she is perhaps even more attracted to women because of that scene versus again like when we see her having sex with her husband it's always like to trick him or like distract him i mean i can't speak to her kinsey scale but i do think she's definitely bisexual (laughs) yeah i I think (laughs) right right right. but i i agree i think that the i think that that moment that she has with stephanie is sincere i mean when i was watching it again for to prep for this podcast one of the things that i noticed is that one this is a lot longer than like just a moment and two 
they both like move their hands up to each other's heads to like engage further and it's Stephanie that pulls away like they're both like into it Mm -hmm. and I think that that's part of the fun of the movie is that Mm -hmm. in another scenario if like Emily hadn't pulled this off or tried to pull the scam like they probably would have been very close I think that they each saw each something in, in the other that like spoke to the side of them that they weren't comfortable showing the rest of the world Mm-hmm. And in that moment, now that they kind of like had each other's secrets, it was, it allowed them to like have this closeness that wasn't available to them before. Like, mm-hmm. sure, Stephanie was fucking her brother, but like she also talked about the fact that like after they had died, like she hadn't slept with anyone, she hadn't been dating, she was too intimidated to go into the city or something. Like she, she's alone, mm-hmm. and she is finally opening up about this like presumably like very shameful thing in her past to this woman that she just met. And that mm-hmm. kind of like forced intimacy, I think like really did bond them. And I think the, that Emily would not have come after Stephanie if Stephanie had just stopped meddling. Right, right. Yeah. But then I also am like, but maybe Emily, like, I don't know. I Ultimately it's like, I, I you can't really, Emily is, it's really hard to know who, if Emily has a genuine feeling for really anybody except for her Anyone. son, mm-hmm. like that's really the only person that you can guarantee, like she really loved her son and would not uh, kill him. <laughs> but anyone else, like <laughs> she could kill anyone else in her life except for her son who loves to say fuck. Um, yeah. <laughs> her, son, her son says fucking every scene. Uh, very cute kid. Um, I forget where this is going. Oh, oh, that line from <laughs> Stephanie that like broke my heart. And I feel like justifies, not justifies, I guess contextualizes a lot of her behavior and why she goes so like has, I, I think, you know, very outsized reaction to the things that are happening to her sometimes where it's just like mm-hmm. uh, sometimes with Stephanie, you're like, just do nothing. Just go home. You know, like why? <laughs> just go home. But she says that thing where she says, like, I think loneliness probably kills more people than cancer. And you're like, oh, my mm. God, like she her motivation is to some extent to have an honest connection with someone. And connection. so it's like mm-hmm. when she feels that she has that with Emily and then is betrayed and then feels like she has that with Sean, which is like, well, what did you think was going to happen? And then is betrayed. (laughs) It's like, of course that's going to like spin her way the fuck out because her like core motivation is to make a meaningful connection with someone that she can trust Mm -hmm. and is clearly not dealing with her grief in a meaningful way and has like been through so much. And I don't know. I mean, it like, I don't know. I Stephanie is such a weird character, but that that line really got me good. I was like, God, she's just she's just really unhappy. She's really really unhappy. And so at the end, when she starts a like true crime empire, I'm like, mm, but has she grieved? <laughs> like, has she? You know, I hope that she's like yeah. got a good therapist now that she's got that Condé Nast money because <laughs> she could be headed down a dark road. It's funny you say that about connection though, because I think that that is something that she's getting from the true crime empire because like especially now that we've like the way that it kind of has metastasized online like through tiktok now especially like people aren't just being like oh isn't that like an interesting story like did you hear about it it's like now like we are the sleuths we will solve it even though these are Mm -hmm. people like that you've never met you don't you're not involved in the case you're like five million states away but i think people feel not just connected but like this like very 
not good impulse to like get involved in stories in a certain way. Yeah. And and I think that you're right that she's like ahead of that in the sense that that's exactly what she does in this film. Like there was multiple times in this movie where she could have simply said like, this is kind of weird. I think I'm going to like bounce. And she just like doesn't because she like has to have answers. She has to go sleuthing. Like she dips her kids off with like whomever the fuck and like Aparna. goes she just leaves the country. Aparna's house. They're like bye. She just fucks <laughs> off to go like investigate at some camp. Like no to one Michigan. sent you there. Yeah. yeah. Right. No one sent you. But she's like spending the money that she can't afford really because her husband's insurance money is running out right. to like rent cars and go across the country to like figure out what's happening. Like sneaking into her parents' house. To figure out what happened to her and her sister. I know she's sneaking into Jean Smart's house. Yes, it doesn't have anything to do with her. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is fucked. And I feel like something that they're also engaging with, and and I maybe someone mentioned this earlier, is she's like majorly capitalizing on as is you know Gone Girl and I think Girl on the Train. I don't really remember that movie very well, but um, like capitalizing <laughs> on missing white woman syndrome and getting people very involved with this like traditionally beautiful missing white lady and like capitalizing on it and building an audience based on mm. it. And I don't mm-hmm. like it's uh, I, I wish I kind of wish that the movie said that a little more explicitly, but I mean, that's like, definitely what is happening i don't yeah stephanie's very complicated like ultimately i'm not rooting for her but i'm like what a wounded what a wounded soul my god but she should have just <laughs> gone home at some point <laughs> yeah i like the like gone girl comparison just because i mean i feel like that's kind of like the epitome of that genre or like that little mini genre that was happening at that time but yeah. it like to me stephanie is I think her name is Casey Wilson in Gone Girl, the next door neighbor That's who's like, wild. we were best friends. <laughs> I know what happened to her. Her husband killed her. You have to listen to me. Like mm-hmm. Stephanie is that character, except that this movie is from her perspective. And so mm-hmm. it's like two ends of the same the same story, but we're we're getting the like meddlesome neighbor who's fucking it up instead of yeah. the one who's trying to scam the money. And mm-hmm. I think that's really fun just because in both situations, like they're all, they're both white women and they're both people. Like I think some it's some, something that like Sarah Marshall says a lot, and you're wrong about that. Like mm. the justice system is like constructed to protect her or like white women in general, right. ostensibly, even though it really isn't. But yeah. and so like in the same way that that Emily is leveraging her white womanhood to kind of build this story that she is in danger and that someone has harmed her and and to 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 mobilize people to to save her mm-hmm. stephanie's doing the same thing it's just from a different mm-hmm. part of the story like it's not just that she is looking for her friend and her friend is a white person because i don't think that if emma that if stephanie was not a white woman that her blog would blow up in the same way totally i think that it's because she is also a white woman mm-hmm. who is domestic and serene and you know lovely and feminine that vaguely religious <laughs> yes yeah there's even that part where like linda cardellini is like oh i could paint you 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 seem so pure like a saint mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know she's like talking about her 
perceived innocence that like yeah. clearly people are latching on to because right. by the end of the movie her blog her vlog has over a million subscribers precisely and because all of these people who are watching these vlogs like they don't know emily they've probably never seen a photo of her except for that one raggedy one that she pulled out from god knows where <laughs> like they don't know right. this person they only know her there she is the one that they're connecting right. to and it's precisely for those same reasons i didn't even mm-hmm. think that like yeah you don't even have a picture of emily so you have to fully rely on stephanie's own like persona in order to Mm -hmm. to buy into and she is like she's fully playing a character in those videos like I mean Mm -hmm. the way that any of us do to some extent but like she's really she's I mean she's really going for it yeah it's uh it's so and and I did think it was like an interesting detail that her audience becomes engaged enough that that is what takes her to Michigan in the first place because that is also something we see all the time is like the online detectives getting way too involved and then you're like this seems dark this is Mm -hmm. fucked up and then they solve something and you're like (laughs) oh my god what yeah no you're breaking my brain (laughs) um (laughs) I don't know yeah it's I just that's how I feel about Free Britney yeah Mm -hmm. yeah you're just Mm -hmm. like I I mean and there is in the Gabby Petito case as well recently where it was like TikTok made a breakthrough and you're like guys stop you're confusing me like yeah I think it is inherently like it it comes from a good place but it's but there's there's some darkness there and it's I don't know what's confusing right yeah it's like I mean I know we had there was that like week when everyone was like parasocial relationships and they were whining about it but like I think in some way like this true crime thing is an extension of that because it's not just like oh there's a there's a mystery and we're gonna solve it even though we're like some random person on tiktok it's like there's a mystery and we're gonna solve it and we're gonna ascribe motives to the players in the story that we do not know and do not have information about right based on what are very likely to be like raced and classed assumptions about people Mm -hmm. to fit what is likely to be a very set true crime frame like i think they even say like in the film in the movie, there's a video she does where she's like, oh, no, I know you guys think that it's, like, always the husband, but it's not. He's very nice. Like, we're best friends. And it's like, yeah, but that's because it usually is the husband. But it obviously wasn't – it wasn't in this case. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if we were going strictly on, like, what is the framework of a true crime story, it would be him because it's always the intimate partner. For sure. Mm-hmm. And it and I think that, like, when we are dealing with, like, real-life stories, it's like we are not good at separating, like – the general likelihood based on statistics and like the specific information. And like, I, I personally like didn't follow the Gabbitito case because I was like, I'm uncomfortable with like how much speculation is happening based Mm -hmm. on very little information. Mm -hmm. But like, you can't, you can't say that you can't be like, sure, this guy seems sketched, but that's not proof of anything because then you all of a sudden you're like, and you know, you're, you're on the side of a murder. And it's like, I don't know that he murdered anyone. I don't know anything about this case. It's yeah. It's it's extremely, extremely complicated. And just because it is like maybe statistically likely doesn't mean that you should automatically default to ruining someone's life over it before you have enough information. And yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, we, we don't have to talk anymore about the Gabby Petito case in particular, but it's, it is like, we haven't figured it out. That's for fucking sure. Yeah. Um, and it is like, it makes me uncomfortable to um, engage in it because of what you're, what you're saying, Kate. It's, it's like, because people. people are making, yeah, it's real people and the internet at large and people at large are always going to default to very race and uh, class based assumptions about people that can truly like destroy someone's life. Yeah. And also a lot of women are killed by their intimate partners. It's just like so complicated. And this movie makes yeah. it funny. <laughs> uh, let's take another quick break and then we will come right back. 
Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. And we're back. Can we talk about Henry Golding's character? Because he was also very complicated of a character in terms of like... He's messy. Me- like yeah, him. there's like suggestions <laughs> that like he's him. maybe having an affair. <laughs> we see him more or less gaslighting Stephanie when she's like, it seems like maybe Emily is alive. And he's like, let me just call the psychology department because you seem cuckoo <laughs> bananas. Um yeah. You know, there's these different things, but then also he, he does really seem to love his wife and like want the best for her. But he's also, to me, he feels like an unreliable narrator who's not the narrator. I guess just he's an yeah. unreliable character because 
I'm like, how much does he know? How much is he involved in this scheme? Like, whose side is he on? Is he on anybody's side? There's like a lot of... I almost wish we understood better what his situation was because I just left with a bunch of questions about him. I don't know. I mean, I feel like he's hard to read. And like now that I've seen it a couple of times, it's more obvious to me that he isn't involved and genuinely doesn't know anything. Mm -hmm. But... If you're watching it for the first time, like, it's very easy to think that he's in on it and gaslighting her because the thing that the one thing that I will say in defense of him is that I don't think that he was gaslighting Stephanie only because he genuinely believed his wife was dead. Mm. And so he was wrong, but he wasn't trying to trick her. It wasn't intentionally. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So that that's the one thing I will say in defense of him. On the other hand, I think that it is very suspicious, and I think the movie plays on that, that he is just real real happy about moving on like it does not take him two seconds he's like let's move in right like i want to be with you you're the person that makes me the one the man that i want to be and i'm yeah. like girl like your your wife just died maybe chill <laughs> like know. slow down for two seconds like he is very sketch yeah. and like i also feel like that's not very considerate of her either of like yeah yeah and like on the one hand it's like men do that <laughs> they're very bad at being alone but on the other hand She's literally her best friend. Uh-huh. Maybe chill for two seconds. Because, like, I don't know what the timeline is on this movie, but it does seem very fast. Right. It does. Yeah. And again, that's what makes it all the wilder that it's like, oh, it does seem like Stephanie is sharing all of these details with her vlog <laughs> audience at real. Like, if I, I whatever, we're all different. Yeah. But if I were like moving in with my quote-unquote best friend who I've only met five times by the way but <laughs> it was a really intense five five hangouts um but mm. like if you're moving into I would not tell anybody <laughs> I would not tell anyone much <laughs> less right, cause anyone it, who wanted to know because at one point she does her vlog from Emily and Sean's kitchen and anyone who's like paying attention would be like whose kitchen are you in Where is this? <laughs> yeah like what? why why <laughs> But um, yeah, that they both needed to just simmer down a bit. But um, (laughs) but then it also is like, and again, I don't want to. But it's like Stephanie is so motivated by being deeply lonely Mm. that I feel like it's also like Sean. And it's I couldn't tell. I was like, does Sean know her well enough to know that he's kind of like triggering something in her by pushing this relationship forward so quickly it doesn't seem like he does know enough i feel like he just doesn't know enough information about anyone he doesn't Mm. i feel like he doesn't he doesn't know her any better than emily did right she just took care of his kid a couple times like that's it he's like i love you they don't know each other and they have that yeah they have that like one hot moment and then they sleep together and like that's great but that's not enough to like upend your life and move your kid out of his house Mm -hmm. (laughs) right And I understand, like, her motivation, because you're right, like, she's lonely, but that doesn't explain his behavior. Right, no, it does I feel like he just moves so fast. Yeah. And I think that the the movie does, like, use that as a way to kind of, like, raise suspicion about him and, like, kind of, you know, uh, misdirect the audience. Mm-hmm. But he's so, like, like, even, even when Emily finally comes back and, like, reveals him, herself to him, and then when the detectives find out about it after she, like, comes back on purpose, he asks him, like, well, so you knew that she was alive and you didn't, like, say anything? And I'm like, yeah, that's suspicious. Why didn't you say anything? Right. <laughs> like, I don't right. know. Why, why would you not mention that? Especially given that he spent the last couple of weeks yeah. 
of like of Stephanie being like, she's alive. I promise she's alive. And him being like, no, she's definitely dead. You now know that she was right. So why wouldn't you say anything? Mm-hmm. Right. Which is like on my first viewing in particular, I was like, oh, this guy is like guilty as fuck. Like why? <laughs> I still don't right. quite get Sean eludes me. He eludes me at yeah, every turn. I think I, I think that um he's just very, very silly. <laughs> <laughs> what a goofy guy. They're like, yeah, like I do think that's fun. Like he is kind of the element that he's kind of this like one hit wonder kind of guy where like he wrote a book what presumably in his like early twenties and now he's like in his mid thirties like yeah. Uh, I'm really getting around to it, you know, any second now. I was like, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. I am that guy, I feel like. <laughs> Sometimes you are that guy. Um, uh, well, let's hmm. talk a little bit about Emily and her um, her background. Because there, there is, in the back half of this movie, holy shit, there's a lot that comes up. Um, yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of twists and turns as it pertains to Emily. I think one of the first things we learn about Emily that is never like explicitly stated, it is explicitly stated about her twin, but not her, is that she has substance abuse issues. She mm-hmm. is constantly drunk during the day. It's clearly had an effect on her marriage. She seems to be aware of this. She also seems to be aware that it's had an effect on her parenting. Mm-hmm. But it also like I thought it was interesting the way that's presented because it is referenced constantly that it is like a detriment to her family. Mm-hmm. Um but in the same way it's also presented as like part of what makes her a cool femme fatale character. Right. Yeah. Which I just think is I guess I don't really know like many things in this movie, I I don't know which which way to really fall on how I feel about that. I do think it's interesting that both it's... sides of that coin are presented to the viewer of like, yeah. yeah, you know, she's drinking a handle of vodka a day, but doesn't she look good doing it? And you're like, well, <laughs> yes, but also her like, I mean, that moment like after she quote unquote dies, but doesn't where Sean like has a moment where he's angry about it and he's like oh you miss your mom like that lady who got drunk in the middle of the day all the time and you're like yikes this is like this family is like (laughs) was truly affected but it's not really it's it's weird because it's presented as a genuine substance abuse issue with her mother and her twin sister who also had issues with abusing drugs um, and drug addiction Mm -hmm. But when it comes to Emily, it's cool, question mark. That was I one wonder, thing. That was, like, one thing I was, like, I, confused I about. agree, actually. Yeah. It's funny, because, like, it wasn't until you just said that that I was like, oh, yeah, she was, like, fully an alcoholic. Yeah. Like, it just dawned on me. Which is, right. like, not a judgment statement, but it's, like, it seems to be inherent to that character. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if this is commentary or not. Let me know what you think. But it, <laughs> I wonder if it's, like, a because of the class component Mm. people perceive substance abuse differently depending on your class it reminds me of a joke from 30 rock yeah well that's for yeah that's for sure Mm -hmm. true so i don't know if the way it's being presented in this movie is commentary on that or not if it's just sort of like leaning into that without really commenting on it but it reminds me Mm. of this joke in 30 rock and i'm gonna butcher it because i don't remember it exactly but it's something like Alec Baldwin is like oh it's just like being business drunk and it's uh, like legal to drive when you're the implication being if you're wealthy enough you can be drunk and drive or do whatever and you won't face any repercussions because of your like elevated 
privilege and class and stuff like that. Right. So because Emily has this like high power job and she's drinking fancy martinis and like doing them in a very fancy mm-hmm. way, it's like not as easy to perceive her as, you know, someone who's struggling with substance abuse issues mm-hmm. versus her twin sister who has clearly been like down on her luck for several years and is, uh, you know, financially struggling and uh, her substance abuse is much more apparent because of that. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the movie is like saying about it, if anything. And Jean Smart's character as well, who we see drinking and who we're told explicitly on screen, like, oh, she shouldn't be drinking. So I I did think it was Mm -hmm. interesting that they went and this again, it's like this is not a universal truth, but it is certainly something that happens of, of you know substance abuse being a, a hereditary issue and so I thought it was interesting that you saw mm-hmm. that her mother is clearly struggling with uh something similar mm-hmm. but again it's just like t- to what end it doesn't really play out in Emily's character at all you're sort of you sort of assume that if she didn't go to prison she would continue day drinking indefinitely and it would always be really sexy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I right. think for me, I, I I think Jean Smart is the reason why I would say that I don't think that it's meant to be class commentary, only because for me, what made it obvious that the sister and the mom are struggling with substance abuse versus Emily is that Emily is always in control of her faculties. Right. Like when we meet Faith, she looks strung out. She looks like she's been using drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she's emaciated. Her hair is a mess. And similar to Jane Smart's character, the mom, she is, you know, she's like in a tizzy. She's flying around the house. Like she she looks like she is under the influence as opposed to Emily, who's just like sexily doing sexy things with a martini glass. Right. And it makes me think of Olivia Pope from Scandal, who like also drank exorbitant amounts of wine. (laughs) But like, yes, the most high functioning alcoholic of all time. Right. And she but like she's always in control. Like that's that's her thing. Right. And so that was another show where I it like didn't occur to me that like she literally only eats popcorn and drinks wine. Like she is an alcoholic. <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't like register because she's she's always in control. She's never having um, you know, like accidents or getting blackout drunk or throwing up everywhere or missing meetings. Like the one time that she ever spilled wine on her white couch is because she was kidnapped by the deep state. Like right. it was <laughs> I forgot about that. Like, it like so you never it like because of that, I think that it's the it's the the depiction of those characters as like fully in control of their faculties that like makes the difference in whether or not you perceive them as having a substance abuse problem. Mm. Because sure. like Blake Levy's tall, Carrie Washington is like smaller, but like not a very tall person. Like the volumes of alcohol that she was allegedly consuming should have her flat on her back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. And it's I, I mean, I, I think that that is like a like whatever fictional signaling that that play. I mean, at least in the case of scandal, I mean, it for sure just plays into mm-hmm. like this is the trope. Rich people can drink forever and uh, still be the greatest mm-hmm. people in the world. And I don't know. scandal. I'm like, you know, what? fine, whatever. I, <laughs> I'm going to keep watching it. I'm going to keep watching it before I go to bed. So it's above reproach. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in this case, it's just I, I with scandal, it makes more sense sense to me because it's not like there are a lot of clear foils to that logic like it's just like oh this is olivia pope this is like Mm -hmm. the in this world you can drink wine all day and still be the most high functioning 
amazing person on the planet and that is just true here where we are Mm -hmm. but in this movie it's like both things are true you can like I don't know again I just like I just thought it was interesting when they went and I it wasn't until like they went as far as to show you that her mother also seems to be a alcoholic maybe a recovering alcoholic to some extent mm-hmm. it's just weird and, and and she says over and over that it's like she's a bad mother and, and that's another thing about emily's character that i mean em- emily like ugh, that scene where she looks so beautiful like it's, but she shows up like <laughs> the scene where anna kendrick takes her picture and she says all these like casually like brutal things about herself in a very yeah. like casual way where she's just like the best thing I can do for my son is to blow my brains out and like don't denigrate mm, your yeah. good parenting to make up for my shitty parenting like she's saying like I'm a bad parent like saying all like really really gnarly stuff mm-hmm. so it's like she knows <laughs> I don't know I don't know it's just weird I like it I like <laughs> it but it's weird <laughs> yeah I think because at that point in the movie we don't know any of the backstory and I think it's supposed to be part of her charm that she's like no parenting is hard like I'm bad at yeah. it <laughs> and and like it's supposed to be like I'm telling the truth things that like no one wants to say as opposed to like no I'm actually a neglectful person to my child right and we don't like know that until later because even even Stephanie's like no I think you're a great mom but that's also part of just like social graces right like you don't mm. someone says something shitty about themselves you don't affirm yeah, you don't it agree. Um, them it's not true right. yeah, yeah I, I can you see don't that agree. yeah I, I agree with you <laughs> yeah, like, no. yeah I guess you are really late uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm not I, I feel like I think you're right that like she does know but I think that that's that's also part of like the fun that Emily has, like right. saying the, the true things out loud and like making people squirm. The first few lines of dialogue out of her mouth and then like a couple scenes beyond that, she's saying like, I was laughing. She's like, I can't have a play date with you, boring mom- mommy lady. I have a play date with a symphony of antidepressants. And then yeah. She, yeah. Her, her son's like, you never let me do anything fun. And Emily's like, that's not true. I <laughs> let you rip my labia when I pushed you out of my body you know like all this stuff. yeah you're just like wow i deliciously grass be my best friend or be my wife doesn't matter uh she should yeah. she should be the writer in this family not sean right <laughs> that is always fun when a writer has like a way more interesting partner and i'm like well i guess i know where you're getting all this shit from you just have a factory of material with you Emily's everybody's muse. She is. Mm. She's some people just walk in the light like that. Um and I guess that that, that also does like <laughs> that also ties into her whole like stop apologizing mm. her annoyance with which is like <laughs> already it's weird. It's 2021 when we're recording this. It already does feel like a very 2018 thing to like girl stop apologizing, but yeah. but in the in the world of this movie uh <laughs> I think it works in the way that Emily presents it and then the way that Stephanie takes it to such an extreme that at the end she puts her best yeah, friend in jail and is like, oh, I'm I'm not sorry. sorry. Like, I thought that there was like a good amount of commentary there on like, yeah, yes, women, like women are socially conditioned to apologize a lot. But the, but sometimes, you know, sometimes you do something fucked up, you have to apologize. Right. <laughs> because Emily says to Stephanie, don't apologize. It's a fucked up female habit. Fucked up female you, habit. you don't need to be sorry for anything ever. And it's like, well, that's <laughs> not like, that okay, part isn't wait. true. Like sometimes you like probably should apologize. Apologize. You should be sorry. <laughs> right. But not if you're a chaotic bisexual. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, yeah. 
Oh man, this whole conversation is making me like the movie even more. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what else we got? What else we got? I find it interesting, and maybe this comment isn't even totally fair, but this is a movie about female friendship, more or less, but it's basically a movie where if two women try to be friends, look what happens. (laughs) (laughs) It's a cautionary tale. (laughs) Which wouldn't be that big of a deal, but there are so many movies like this that hinge on a narrative of like two women meeting and then ending up hating each other or ending up like trying to screw each other over (sighs) usually those stories are written by men because men don't understand um things but uh (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i guess that's why it doesn't bother me as much here because yeah i understand why they don't like i mean that's really all i mean and i do think that there should be more move you know media in general where it's just like women being friends and connecting with each other. I just Mm -hmm. recorded something about little women where you're just like, Oh yeah. Like watching women meaningfully connect with each other and occasionally have conflict is like, Ooh, it is such a good corner of the world to live in. But I, I do feel like in the case of this movie, I don't know all I want. Like if there are women in conflict, amazing. I just want to like be able to wrap my head around why, like and I sure. think sometimes with the men with, mm-hmm. with the way that men write conflict between women, it just you're like this doesn't you don't understand. Like that's that it's this... very underdeveloped or like dissonant. Yeah. But in this case, yeah, I, I mean, don't even feel like they're in conflict so much as that that they're at cross purposes. Mm. Like it's sure. less that Stephanie is like against Emily or vice versa. It's more that like one is trying to achieve something specific, the other is also trying to achieve something specific, and they both can't achieve the same thing or achieve their thing if the other person wins. Mm -hmm. So it's not that they're against each other, it's that they're trying to accomplish their goals and their goals are contradictory. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a a perfect way to put it. I don't know. Yeah, it it didn't ping for me in this movie in particular, but I do, I mean, that's still obviously like a thing that still happens too frequently. Sure, Mm. yeah. Yeah, does anyone have any other thoughts? I feel like we've just scratched the surface of this. (laughs) I did want to just mention, I I noticed that, I mean, there is a fair amount of diversity in this cast, but it, I mean, obviously is this like, you know, battle of wits between these two white ladies and they're like the queer characters and people of color, with the exception of Henry Golding, are kept on the comedic margins of the movie there's mm-hmm. like and there's so many good players that it's like uh, i wish that you know like a part in and Triller's there and oh, andrew so reynolds underused. is there like use them more i mean I andrew reynolds does get to hit blake lively with a car so and then he gets out and he says <laughs> america's hybrids silent but deadly and i'm like <laughs> that wow. was pretty good like i love any time that they're on screen i just always am like okay give them more to do then you know but the, you know you get you get to see them smoking a bong you get to see andrew reynolds hit like lively with a Prius you know you do get some stuff but yeah I just felt like that was worth mentioning sure uh, I would like to mention that instead of a clothes trying on montage there is a getting rid of clothes montage wow wow but then that, that also confused me because we see that that <laughs> montage where Stephanie is getting she has moved into Emily's house she clears out her closet 
but then like she comes in whatever the next day or something like that and all of emily's stuff is back where it was is that to suggest that emily like snuck in during the night and like put all of her clothes and shoes back i hope so i think so right i didn't even get that it was a different day because I was like how did she do that that fast that's weird yeah I thought it was in the space I thought she of just that. went downstairs <laughs> me too I know and I'm like was this like a dream sequence like I, I was so confused by the whole thing but anyway we do see a getting rid of clothes montage and I was like hey Honestly, that's, that's different <laughs> that's kind of funny too because I I I guess because we just had this like huge femme fatale tropes discussion and how they're like sometimes perceived as being like kind of witchy characters that have magic i think i just bought into that trope in that moment i'm like yeah blake lively scrambled upstairs and put everything out of course she did yeah <laughs> that's that's her character makes sense to me i wow wow i got femme fatale pilled in that moment <laughs> wow yeah does anyone have anything else they want to talk about uh I don't, we talked about a lot i don't know yeah, yeah. i'm satisfied I'm I'm satisfied as well. And yeah. this this movie, I mean, gang, does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Yes. Yeah. Lots. Yeah. Lots. <laughs> it super does. <laughs> I would say more often than not, oh, maybe, possibly. Yeah. Kind of a rare example of a movie, yeah, that more conversations pass than don't. I mean, I haven't done the math, the hard math on that, so don't quote me on it. This is not a math podcast. But... It's not a math podcast. It's not a book podcast, so relax. <laughs> <laughs> but this is um, just the girls uh circling up and <laughs> no i'm 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 bisexual i don't do math <laughs> but you do understand chaos theory because of how of course. chaotic bisexuals are it's just in me yeah you are a scientist you just don't do math um yes definitely does pass the Bechdel test as far as our nipple scale zero to five nipples based on examining the movie through an intersectional feminist lens oh wow I simply I simply don't know about a simple favor wow. uh I guess I would give this like I mean it's rare that a movie where two women are the main players is like such a complicated and challenging and interesting movie that generates such an interesting discussion that alone makes me want to give it like three and a half or four nipples maybe because mm -hmm. even though I still don't quite know what to make of it I do kind of part of me wanted the movie to end differently where like the two women realize wow we actually are best friends and um we would stand a better chance if we just like team up and get rid of this goofball husband guy who will just apparently have sex with any woman nearby. <laughs> uh, so let's screw him over and then uh, team up and whatever, just like collect that $4 million and have a ball and keep kissing each other. Um, that might have been like too silly and like too like girl power of an ending, girl power. but that is kind of what I was hoping for. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, the heart wants what the heart wants. The, I know. Yeah. Even so, it's a, it was a, a challenging, interesting movie. I appreciate a lot of what it was doing as far as like commentary on like you know middle class upper middle class white lady being a girl boss like because i mean we don't really see stephanie like have any karen moments but 
she strikes me as like such a Karen. Uh, <laughs> I feel like talking to the boss was the Karen moment. That's true. That is true. Yeah, discount or was it low rent Tom Ford? That was that was her time to shine. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know the commentary on that. That's that's all interesting to me. I wish there were more movies just that celebrate female friendship and um, don't suggest that they're kind of doomed. But, uh, you know, even so, this is a fun movie. I'll give it three and a half nipples. I'll give one to Henry Golding, not his character, but just him as an actor, because I love him. Uh, I'll give one to Aparnan on Cherla. I will give one to... The Prius that runs over Blake Lively at the end. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll give my half nipple to, um, I think the two little boys were playing with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys at some point. Hell yeah. (laughs) So I'll give my half nipple to (laughs) Turtle Toys. To the Ninja Turtles? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm like, when are we going to cover a Ninja Turtles movie? You've never asked. We should do it. I will. Secret of the U's, baby. There's a new one coming out next year, I think. <gasps> that's our time to shine. Anyway, so three, yeah, those are that's my nipple distribution. Okay. I'm tempted to go four here. I mean, and maybe it's just because I had such a delightful time. But and I think it also because I think I am going to go four partially because we and maybe I wouldn't have if we hadn't just covered a different noir. And it was really interesting to see how whatever 70 plus years of this genre kind of built and evolved the way that um, femme fatales can be presented and the amount of depth that they can have. And and even like comparing this movie to the 1940s noir that we covered, like how just replacing a motivation being inherently connected to a man and changing it to like this very complicated fucked up relationship with the (laughs) women in her life, like, on the whole, if we're viewing Emily as the protagonist, she has a fucked up relationship with Stephanie. She has a really complicated relationship with her sister. She has a really complicated relationship with her mom. And that seems to be more what drives her to behave the way she does versus her relationship with men. But she's still very much a femme fatale, which I just, I don't know. I think it's really interesting. And then I also think that the 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 modern, you know, the kind of mommy vlogger criticism while also giving her depth that you can kind of <laughs> like or dislike was really strong. I, at the end of the day, this is still a, a movie that hinges on the lives of, of two white women who have access to everything they need. They're not, um, you know, it, I think it's good that they discuss money and that they are having, I don't think it's good that they're having money, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But ultimately like this is the kind of movie that's like it's subverting some things and then others it's sort of not but it's a but i like it uh, it's hard. I, I, <laughs> we contain multitudes we contain multitudes and and i do and again it's this is the kind of like very very specific subgenre that i hope continues to develop maybe not like right away but down the line i would like to see more movies like this and and maybe you know start women of color maybe st- a little bit less of the completely depraved bisexual trope perhaps a woman could direct question mark i mean let's really shoot for the stars here but i do i mean in terms of like half step and and progress i think it's cool that you know 
all three of these movies that we were kind of referencing throughout this episode were based on stories by women and were adapted by women, which you certainly weren't getting earlier in the genre, and it seems to show. Um, I like this movie. Uh, maybe maybe I'm taking an L by giving it four nipples, but I'm going to go for it. Uh, I'm going to give one to Blake. I'm going to give one to uh, Blake's twin. Oh, no, sorry. I'm going to give three to the triplets, uh-huh. uh, and then I'll give... <laughs> And I'll give my last one to Aparna. And that's what I'm going to do. Kate? So I love this movie, as I've already said. (laughs) I mean, like, uh, I think I mentioned it before we got on the mics, but I have the poster for this film, like, framed and up in my apartment. But I I love this movie. It forced me to stop calling Blake Lively Plantation Barbie. And (laughs) I just... I, I feel like it's one of those, like, media prophecies that has, like, enough of, like, a queer sensibility that it's, like, it's almost like gaydar. Like, the movie is, like, signaling to you in ways that are not necessarily apparent, but are obvious if you know what you're looking for. And I love stuff like that. And I had known long before now that, like, I always like the character that's like a little bitchy. Like Blair was my favorite on Gossip Girl. Like I, I love the mean character. I love the character who is like quick with a sharp word. And I just feel like I got so much of that out of this film that I really enjoyed. Plus I love a mystery. I love a good twist. There's, it's so rare that like a movie surprises me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I really enjoy them. And like this is one of the few in the last couple of years that I didn't know what was going to happen next. And I really enjoyed that ride. Yeah. So... As for my nipples, I'm going to do slightly differently. I'm going to dock a nipple for Emily not winning in the end because I think that the Quirvalin should always win. And (laughs) I'm going to dock a half nipple for the black cop trope because I hate that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then as for my other three and a half, I'm going to give one to Emily Suits. I'm going to give another one to... Paul Feig's walking cane. <laughs> um, I'm going to give one to the cussing kid, mm. uh, Nikki. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because kid swearing is always hilarious. Yeah. And my other half nipple I will give to Blake Lively's line reading of Brotherfucker. Yeah. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. The movie has a catchphrase. It's fun. <laughs> This should have been on the poster, <laughs> but Kate, thank you so much for being here. Oh my god, what Thanks a treat! Thanks for having me. Truly, this is so fun. Thanks for doing us the favor, the simple favor, <laughs> the simple favor. of being a guest on the show. You're very welcome. And now we're gonna disappear for a long time, and hopefully I know I, pro- you I like promise to not to try to murder you for four million dollars. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I would understand. Just please use the correct photo when i'm killed that's all i ask yeah we'll email you the photos that we approve of yeah awesome. <laughs> um, where can people follow you on social media check out your writing check out anything that you'd like to plug sure um you can find me on various social media platforms at batty mamzelle that's b-a-t-t-y-m-a-m-z-e-l-l-e if you can't find me i'm not there um and <laughs> my website which is uh, kate-young.com and more frequently um, I publish a weekly newsletter with my friend Zosha called 3030 and fine it's on Substack and film oh my god why did I say that wrong 
Dirty flirting film at Substack. <laughs> um, and every week we publish two uh, film reviews that we write in 30 minutes or less, probably more, but we don't tell you because it's ours and we can make whatever rules we want. Wow, you're full of secrets. <laughs> yeah, we're just lying. Um, but um, but um, that's really fun. And our, our last issue was uh, the I reviewed uh, Benedetta, which just came out. Oh, that's cool. the, the lesbian nun movie. It's super fun. Yeah. Um, and so she covered, um, I forget what it was called, um, the, the nun documentary. Oh my god! Ooh. I forget what it's about. Ooh, was that but they're a like kick-ass nuns. I'm not sure, but it's like they're like kick-ass nuns who like protest and shit. And I'm like, oh. yeah, more Catholic nuns need to say fuck you to the Pope. <laughs> but it's really fun. We have a lot of fun doing it. Um, I like to pretend like it's not stressful because I enjoy making work for myself. Relatable content. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bechtelcast. You can check out our matreon that's at patreon.com slash bechtelcast it gets you two bonus episodes every month Mm -hmm. plus the whole back catalog of bonus episodes and it's five dollars per month wow you can also fulfill all your merchandising needs at tpublic.com slash the bechtelcast and with that um do you want to jump in the lake nothing nothing weird going on just let's let's go for a swim you know work out our differences sounds like a plan to me okay only if i got a fancy diamond ring there (laughs) (laughs) okay it's a deal (laughs) Bye 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 infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 live march 20th from the edge at hudson yards in new york city Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Iberostar Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.